Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I do want to really talk about this whole idea of journeying with Jesus. And the title of this message is Journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem. There you go. That's, that's an alliteration. Journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem. And I'm referring to the fact that about a week prior to his triumphal entry, which is what we celebrate next Sunday on Palm Sunday, Jesus left a northern Israeli city called Capernaum. And if I could get the map put up, please. He left Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is way up north on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's that. And he began to go down this Roman road, and you can see he weaved in between all these places. He came down to here. This is Jericho, all right? About a week's journey to come down here. He goes through Bethany and Bethpages and on into Jerusalem. Now, what's really happening is it's the Passover season. Now, during the Passover season, if you were a dedicated, observant Jew, you made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the Levitical law. And as you made that journey, you would not be traveling by yourself. You would literally be traveling with thousands of other pilgrims. So the road would be packed. Now Jesus is walking this. It's about a week's walk, they say. And he's walking it, and as he's walking, he's ministering. He's talking to people. He's sharing with people. He's he's praying for people. He's healing the sick. And, And some of the most amazing things he ever said are recorded during this journey, this, this last week of his, of his life from Capernaum all the way to Jerusalem, and you can find them in all three of the parallel Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You'll find them in, in Matthew chapters 19 and 20. You'll find them in Mark chapter 10. You'll find them in Luke's chapter 7 through 19. Again, that's Matthew 19 and 20, Mark 10, and Luke's chapter 7 and 19. And I particularly want to highlight Luke 17 through 19, Wonderful, wonderful sermons of Christ that, that all of us should, should make a habitual habit of reading. But as he's walking, they would be doing things to, to prepare themselves for the Passover. The Passover was, was one of the most important days of, of sanctification in the whole Jewish faith. They would be singing the Psalms of Ascent. Do you remember the sermon series I did last summer on the Psalms of Ascent? It's Psalm 120 through 134. There are 15 Psalms of Ascent. And they would be singing those and and encouraging each other with with what was was in the context of that. Now, partly the reason they call it a psalm of ascent is that Jerusalem is at a high point. It's about 2,300 feet above sea level. Jericho, where we're going to kind of focus this morning, is 800 feet below sea level. So as he's going from that last 20 miles or so, he's going about 3,500 feet up in elevation over that period. And as they're coming up, they're preparing their hearts. They're preparing themselves He is not hiding the fact that he knows what he's walking to. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. In fact, it it says in a number of places here in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, he's speaking to his disciples, his closest people. It says, as he was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen. It's interesting that Judas is included in this. Listen, he said, We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day he will raise from the dead. 
So there is no ambiguity about what is ahead of him. And today, as we are 14 days from the Easter celebration, I want us to, to use this time intentionally. And today we're going to kick off by, by looking at several encounters Jesus had with people along this path from Capernaum to Jericho and in Jericho itself. Because I think if we read what happened between them and Christ, it's going to impact our relationship with Christ. It's going to bring us insight and wisdom and understanding. It's going to let us have a deeper, more intimate relationship with our loving Heavenly Father that will produce amazing fruit. Okay, so you guys with me? All right. First place I want to go is an encounter he had with two of his disciples who were brothers, James and John. And this is about ambitions, just to kind of give you a, a heads up. And it says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 10, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Have you ever wanted God to do you a favor? Of course. Oh, what is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Pretty ambitious, huh? <laughs> but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Okay. <laughs> then Jesus told them, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Well, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. And they, they called, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a powerful passage. That shakes up your whole paradigm of leadership. It shakes up your paradigm of culture. It shakes up your paradigm of, of what it means to, to be spiritually strong. And from that, there are some things that, that, that I want to just ask us as a congregation and myself as an individual. And the first is, do I have ambitions? Because he never rebukes James and John for having ambitions. He just told them they didn't know what they were asking for. How many have ever asked for something and not realized what it was you got? Yeah. How many wives are raising their hands? No, I, <laughs> that's a joke, come on. It's, it's, you know, the point of it is, though, I just want us to consider this. Is it a sin not to have ambitions? Does God want his people to be ambitious? And the right kind of ambitious. I mean, not the wrong kind of ambitious, because he talks about that. I, I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just asking you to consider the question. Does God want his people to be passive, sitting around doing nothing? I don't think so. But are our ambitions serving others? Because if they don't, is that a sin? 
It's not, I'm just asking, are we supposed to be ambitious? But if we're ambitious, are we ambitious for things that will bless other people? Or are we simply ambitious for things that make us feel better about ourselves? Just things to consider as, as we're making this journey to Jerusalem with Jesus. And again, he's shaking up the paradigm. Do we understand the sacrifices our ambitions require? And are we ready to endure the pain that comes from our choices? Because every choice has a price. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Smile at me. <laughs> I mean, and you can apply that in whatever context you want to. I mean, it, th there is no free lunch, if you'll, if you'll forgive the idiom. There, there, if you want to be spiritually strong, if you want to follow Christ, there's going to be some things that you have to say yes to, which means you have other things you say no to. That's the way it works. If you want to be in a position of influence, you have to say yes to some things and no to some other things. And, and Christ is most blunt with these guys. Okay, you, you want to be in leadership? Everybody who is going to be in leadership is going to pay a price. In fact, James, if you go to Acts 12, I believe it's Acts 12, it has his head cut off by Herod. Not too much longer. John spent his entire life preaching the gospel and enduring persecution. And he lived a long time. I don't know who got out of this quicker. You know, his brother who died young or John who suffered for decades. He was the last of the disciples to die. But they had a price to be what they felt like God wanted them to be. And they needed to be willing to pay that price. Are we? I mean, sometimes I think we have, we have distilled the grace of God to be this thing that, that, that has no, no sacrifice accompanying it. It's like, oh, God's going to do it all. That's just not true. God's going to enable you to do it. God's going to enable you to do it, but it's still going to hurt. There's still going to be a pain, and, and that's okay because it's worth it. My last question from this encounter is this, and think about what was going through James and John's head. They've asked to be promoted, and Jesus says, well, you can't be promoted unless you pay this price, and they say, we're willing to pay the price, and he says to them prophetically, you're going to pay the price, but I'm not promising you promotion. <laughs> Would we follow Christ even if our ambitions did not become a reality. Just something to think about. I won't, medit I won't linger there, but that, that's essentially what happened there. So, so that's the first encounter, and it's about our ambitions. And I think God wants us to be ambitious, and he wants us to believe for things and, and do things, but he also wants us to go in with our eyes wide open, understanding that there's a price to pay for that. Second thing I want to look at are two encounters with wealthy men that were very similar but had very, very different results. And again, all of, both of these happened on this journey. They happened on this journey to Jerusalem. And the first is, is from Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter in the 18th through the 31st verses. And it says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good, which is an amazing answer right there, if you think about it, because this is Jesus talking. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. 
You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I have obeyed all of these commandments since I was a young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, those who heard this said, well, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, we left our homes to follow you. And yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Lots of sermons preached around this. Some people are trying to say that, that Jesus was saying that rich, being rich is a sin and that if you're rich, you can't get into heaven. That's not what it says. It says it's difficult for a wealthy person to come under the sovereignty of God. That's the kingdom of God. And that salvation is impossible for anybody but God. The only person who can give you salvation is God. You can't earn it. What is, what is interesting to me, and I, I want to just point this out, is the guy who's asking Jesus the question, the rich man, everybody focuses on his wealth. What they don't focus on is just how devout a person he was. He is not some backslidden kind of sleazy person. We'll get to that encounter in a second. He's a guy that's very devoted to God. I would assume he's sincere in his devotions. He wants to be right with Christ. He wants to be right with God. He is not like a lot of the religious leaders who look at Jesus and do not looks at Jesus and says, man, you couldn't do what you're doing unless God had sent you. So you must be a prophet. And so you probably have the answer to my question, which is this. I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. I've done all these other things. I, I've, I've sacrificed. I've let my beard grow. I, 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 you know, I, I gave up foods and I, I do everything. I come, I'm on the journey with you to Jerusalem. I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to Passover. I'm singing the Psalms of Ascent. I want to be right. Very religious, very devout, very, very willing to, to sacrifice. And yet Jesus asks him to do the one thing that he can't do. One commandment. I, I'll, I'll do all the other commandments, God. But I won't do this one. And so he turns from Jesus rather than finding grace, and he walks away sad. Now compare his story with the one just a few verses down in, in, in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a, a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich, and he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Well, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. 
But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Two rich guys, same journey. But the outcome of their encounters was, was vastly different. Zacchaeus is excited. He's, he's been welcomed back. Now, consider who Zacchaeus is. To be the chief tax collector, you have to abandon the Jewish faith, essentially. You have to abandon the Jewish community. You're, he's not observant. He's not following the commandments of God. He's a sinner, and he knows he's a sinner. And yet, he sees Jesus coming down the road, and his response is, what is it going to take for me to have an encounter with him? I'll climb up a tree. Can you think of a grown man climbing a tree? Yeah. Rob, when was the last time you climbed a tree? Last year? I won't ask why, <laughs> but, but God bless you. <laughs> All right. I mean, there is a point in your life when tree climbing is kind of something you did as a kid, but he does this because he doesn't care if people make fun of him. He doesn't care if people mock him. He just wants to get right with God. And Christ reaches out to him. I always want to say this, and I don't know if we can put this up or not, but Jesus isn't trying to keep people out of heaven or from experiencing a blessed life. I'll say it again. Jesus isn't trying to keep people out of heaven or from experiencing a blessed life, but there are things that can. There are things in our life that can keep us out of the kingdom of God, and there are things in our life that can keep us from experiencing a blessed life. So this prompts this question as we're on this journey to draw closer to God. What would you find difficult to walk away from in order to follow God? For, I mean, we look at the, 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 the religious leader. Oh, yeah, he's just, he's just got money. He's rich. Okay, what's your stumbling block? Everybody's got one. What's more important to you than your relationship with God? Just curious. Because I'm almost sure everybody's got some, right? I know I got two or three things. You don't get to know what they are. <laughs> okay. You know, it, it's, you know, it's the Lenten season. You guys, how many are from a Catholic or an Episcopal background? Yeah. The Lenten season. And you, you, you give up stuff for Lent, right? This goes way deeper than giving up, you know, chocolate for two weeks or three weeks or whatever. This is what would you give up? walk away from in order to have a deeper, more intimate walk with Christ? And that's a profound question that isn't easily answered. That's why I'm encouraging us to take some time over the next few weeks and think about some of these questions. Here's a second thing. What actions in our lives are evidence of our repentance? The, the cool thing about the second rich guy is he realizes he's been forgiven. And when Jesus said he's a true son of Abraham, what, what we read is, well, what does that mean? What it means, he's saying he is every bit as much a son of Abraham as any Jew that has ever lived. Everybody who's kept all of the commandments, all of the, all of the rituals, he's done everything. Zacchaeus is that much a son of Abraham. 
I see him as righteous. And, and, and yet, he stands up in response and says, I'm repenting, therefore I'll give half my money to the poor. I heard a preacher say he got off light. The other guy wanted everything, you know. <laughs> but but it's, it's not about that. It's about what is it in our life shows that we've repented. There should be something, right? Something to ask ourselves. And finally, as a people, do we celebrate the righteous or the repentant? I mean, I, I like hanging out with Christians because I like Christians. We have shared values, shared, we have shared thoughts. We, we see things the same, generally, right? Right? You know, we may disagree on a few things, but we have some common ground. But what excites us more, running into to people that, that we see on a regular basis who hold our values, or somebody who, who raises their hands and said, forgive me, Lord, I am a sinner. Do we still have a passion to see the lost saved? Because it does say someplace in the Bible there's more joy in heaven over one sinner than over 99 righteous people. And as we get into the Easter season, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us to remind ourselves that, that seeing people find the grace of God in their life should really flip our switch. Is that an okay thing to say, flip your switch? I think, you know, I think that's, that's theologically close. It's, it's, it's a modern translation. So, so that's the second. The first encounter was James and John and the idea of, of what are the ambitions that God wants us to embrace. The second encounter was, was the encounters with the two wealthy men to begin to identify what the stumbling blocks are in our lives, the things that keep us from having that intimacy with Christ, and then recognizing that there should be some fruit of repentance if we've acknowledged them. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's what my problem is, and then we ignore it. And then kind of restoring the joy of our salvation that is, is birthed from joy from others' salvation. Which brings me to the third and, and the last encounter I really want to talk about. And Jesus runs into a number of blind people on this journey. And I want to look at one. And again, this is from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. It said, and then they reached Jer Jericho, they being this whole entourage that is following with Christ. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. You're making a noise here. You're, you know, you're getting in our way. Come on, we're trying to listen to the man of God. Shut up. That's Reese's. I added that. That's... Not actually in the text. And Jesus heard him. He stopped and said, tell him to come here. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up. They said, come on. He's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. So what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. I've always thought that was a strange question. You get a blind man. What do you think he wants, Jesus? You know. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road.
Did you know everybody's blind in some way? All of us are blind to certain things. Some of us are blind to our own sins. Some of us are, are blind to uh, the misfortune of others. We, we walk past people and we have no idea what they're going through. Some of us are blind to uh, the things that are stumbling blocks to us. You know, that, wow, I didn't know that was an issue in my life. Well, it is. Are you willing to let God show you what you're blind to? Am I willing to let God show me what I'm blind to? We're on a journey with Jesus to Jerusalem during these two weeks. And Bartimaeus knew he was blind. He, you know, his, his eyes didn't see. But do our spiritual eyes see? And are we willing to let Christ come in and reveal our blindness? Do we take advantage of the opportunities for healing that always accompany Christ? Or do we let people talk us out of receiving from God? I mean, you think about Bartimaeus. I, I mean, here's a blind guy. Been begging for years. Nobody knows how long. He's son of Timaeus, whatever that means. And, and his one shot at, at encountering Christ is happening that day, they're leaving Jerusalem. He's going to Jericho, or they're leaving Jericho to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be put to death. He doesn't know that, but this is his one shot. There's a man walking by who can heal me of my blindness. And he starts to shout. And he starts to, you know, get loud. And the immediate response from the people around him is, you know, just be quiet. There's other people here. Don't bother him, man. You ought to, you selfish thing. You go back to begging. Go back to begging. You just stay in your blindness. Stay in your suffering. Stay in your second-class citizenship. You just stay over there being a loser and, 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 and a tolerated member of society, not a fully embraced member of society. You marginalized person. That's what a blind guy is. He's not somebody that's seen as a contributor. He's seen as, as like a parasitic person that you have to take care of. Cursed of God. Now, am I exaggerating or does that line up with Scripture? Lines up with culture. And yet, Bartimaeus said, I don't care. I'm going to shout and scream. And he may walk by, but it won't be because I didn't try to connect with him. And so I ask us as people, when we get together like this, We've got an incredible opportunity to have a connection with God. And are we willing to do that, or are we going to let people talk us out of it? Well, it may not look appropriate to come to the altar and kneel. I don't care. I need to get healed. Look at me. You know what I'm saying? All of that, what is it that could, could keep us? Do we let culture or appropriateness or whatever stop us from being in connection with God? And the final question is this. If God answered our prayers, would we follow him? You know, the, the story about you know, the, the 10 who were healed and only one turned back. That's pretty common. How many times has God answered a prayer for us? And we get excited for the moment and then we, you know. It doesn't really draw us closer to God. It's just, oh, thank you. You know, he should do those things. He's God. That's what he does. He answers prayers. 
but, but it says here that Bartimaeus gets healed, and he doesn't go back to his old way of life. He joins the crowd and follows Christ. In my mind, I wonder if he went all the way to Jerusalem with him. I mean, he's a blind guy. He didn't have a job. Didn't have a family, most likely, or Timaeus. I mean, who knows? My issue is that, that I love it when God answers prayers. I mean, who, who doesn't love it when God answers prayers? Who doesn't love it when the Lord comes in and pours his abundance out on us? But sometimes answered prayers, which should draw us closer to God, become trite. And, and we simply go on about our life unchanged. And that's not the intent of God. The intent of God is, is to, to let his goodness be a, be a catalyst for more intimacy with us. So we had the, the brothers, the rich men, and the blind guy, and multiple other encounters, all of which are contained in those passages that I, I talked about, which leads me to where do I want us to go? Ushers, if I could have you hand out this sheet. There's two sides to this sheet, and I want us to look at first on the preparation for the journey, because that's what this next week is. You know, we, we have the Holy Week coming up, but, but I'd like you to uh, go ahead and just give it away, please. Uh, and, you know, that I want us to prepare for the journey. There's some things that I think would help you draw closer to God. There are 15, counting today, 15 days through Easter, if you include Easter. 15 days. How many Psalms of Ascent are there? Yeah, it's a, it's a trick question. It's 15. So as they're handing those out, and most of them are, are relatively short. We're talking two or three paragraphs. They're not long. So today and every day through Easter, I'd like to challenge you to read one of those Psalms of Ascent. It will take you literally one minute. How many of you have a minute to spare for God? <laughs> okay. But, but read that and just begin to personalize it and to think about what it means to you. And if we start today and go through Easter, we'll get through all those 34. And I think it'll, you know, there's far more things you could do. But, that, but that's the beginning to whet our appetite. But this week specifically, in preparation of Holy Week, I want you to, to ask Jesus to reveal where we are blind and to see, heal us from not seeing what we need to see. God, heal me of my spiritual blindness, of my emotional blindness, of my mental blindness, and perhaps my physical blindness. And that's something important. Meditate on what interferes with our surrendering everything to God. What are the things more important to us in following God? And it's always things, isn't it? Maybe it's pickleball. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not of God. I, you know, you, you can get, anything can become an idol, okay? Uh, basketball can become an idol. Do you hear that, Tom Keene? No, I just, you know, sorry, poor guy, I'm getting picking on him. It, it, but the point of it is, anything can be an idol. Anything. Are you willing for God to reveal that to you? And then consider how we can be servant leaders to our fellow Christians in our communities. That, that's the ambition part. I'm, I'm really focusing on you know, the, the brothers, the blind guy, and, 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 and all of the encounters that we talked about, the rich men. Because I really do believe the church is meant to be an influence in our communities, to, to, to do good. And because we do good, people will be, why do you do that? Why are you nice to me? We're not nice to you. Because that's the way Christ asked us to lead. And that we'll count the cost of discipleship 
and not see it as a sacrifice the way that the one rich leader did, but to see it as, a, as an opportunity to bear fruit in keeping with repentance if I could steal the King James. So that's this week. You guys got that? Turn it over. This is the beginning of Holy Week in our Easter service. Now, on April 2nd, which is Saturday, the men are going down to Ponderosa for an encounter with God. You can certainly join them. They still have a few spots left. It's, it's, it's going to be an amazing day. But Sunday night, we're beginning a period of prayer every single night. Now, Pastor Sarah will be sharing the Palm Sunday service. It's going to be great. I encourage you to be here. But that night from 7 to 8, we're going to be here focusing on, on discovering joy in the cross. And every night, there'll be a different pastor leading the prayer meeting, and it'll be right here in the sanctuary, except for, except for Thursday night when they're rehearsing and we'll be in the youth room. Monday night, we're going to talk about bearing our sins, and there'll be verses associated with that. Tuesday night is all for love. Greatest act of love ever in the history of the world was Jesus going to Calvary. Wednesday, we have our normal space and place, but we're going to be focusing on before honor, humility. And again, Thursday in the youth room, uh, we're going to be looking at promises fulfilled. That's Monday, Thursday for those of you who follow those. And then Friday, I have a, a short message I want to share on necessary endings. It seems rather obvious when you talk about Christ's life that it was necessary that he die. It was necessary that he go to Calvary. It was necessary. And we're going to be going and, and looking at that a little deeper and using this. And finally, on Saturday... The veil was torn, and I'll, I'll be leading that prayer meeting. And they're all 7 to 8 o'clock. And so during Holy Week, starting next Sunday night, you know, this Sunday we're preparing. We're going through the response to this week's sermon. But next Sunday night, we're going to be starting a seven-day period of just prayer. And so I'm going to encourage you to come to one or more of those evenings. Uh, we picked evenings rather than mornings because it just seems like more people can come in the evenings. <laughs> but but it, it's a time for us to really... Turn Easter from, from being what is a good thing to being a transformational thing. And that's, that's one of the things I think the evangelical independent church has missed, is the idea of taking the familiar and leveraging that to, to draw us closer to God. You guys ready? You guys interested? Just want to get out and watch the basketball game? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hand that, no, no, not me, not me, not today. <laughs> this is one of those heavy revy days, and I get it. But Christianity is a heavy revy. It's a heavy revy. There's a ton of people that, that want to be believers in Jesus, but they don't want to be disciples. And if you've read my Facebook page, the scriptures are clear. Salvation is a free gift of God. Discipleship is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. There's no other way. It costs us everything. And, and I don't want us to finish short of the mark of the high calling. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And I know God wants you to be a disciple of Jesus because that's where the blessing lies. Let's pray. You know, Father, I thank you for, for this two-week period, this, this journeying to Jerusalem with Jesus, this, this potential that we have within these 14 days, these 15 days to to grow in our intimacy with you. And I pray for each and every person in, in the room. I, I pray for them. Would you just lay your hand on your shoulder, assuming that you're 
arms move that way. As I get older, it's a little more of a stretch. But just put your hand on your own shoulder and start to pray for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, God, God has an anointing for you this holiday season. And Father, I just pray. I pray for each and every person. I pray for the back row and, and, and up through the front row. For Maria. Pray for the riders. Pray for CJ. Pray for Insel and the whole team in the back. Pray for Nikki. Pray for Gene, God, and Donovan, and everybody, God, throughout the room. I pray for Jerry, Nubia, God, and all the others who are here and who are part. Pray for those sound booth and those who are online. Those of you who are online, seriously, I'm praying for you right now. Put your hand on your shoulder and just begin to pray for yourself. Right where you're at, wherever you're at in your home, pray for yourself. Let God anoint you for a special walk with him this Easter season. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you just keep your eyes closed for just a minute more? I don't want to embarrass anyone, but that's, which is why I have everybody's eyes closed. Please don't look around. If there's anyone in this room or online, and you would tell me that you know that there, there's just something in your life that is keeping you from a closer walk with Christ, and you just like to, to confess that to God, not to me, but to God, and just get it out of your life, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me? That there's some stuff in my life that's just keeping me from a closer. I see these hands. You can put those down. So, Father, I, I just begin to pray for everybody who raised their hands that as they confess quietly to you what this issue is, they're aware of it, you've made them aware of it, and I thank you, God, that you are taking it out of their life. You're giving them a grace to remove this so that they can, they can walk free of this, whatever this is. And, Lord, that you're drawing them into a more intimate walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.